We're in uh, 1 Samuel 9. That's the whole of that chapter. And then into chapter 10 as well, up until verse 16. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, the son of Becherah, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they didn't find them. They went on into the district of Shalim. The donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they didn't find them. When they reached the district of Zuth, Saul said to one of the servants who was with him, come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, look, in this town there is a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he'll tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We've no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so that he'll tell us the way to take. Formerly in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water, and they asked them, is the seer here? He is, the girls answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He's just come out to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now, you should find him about this time. So they went up to the town, as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. 
Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them, they have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? Saul answered, but I am not a Benjamite from the smallest, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the leg with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, Here is what's been kept for you. Eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion. From this time I said, I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. After they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you, Saul, stay here a while, so that I may give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father's stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, the other three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gebeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, You'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high, high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes and harps being played before them, as they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come, come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them. And you'll be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, 
I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What's this that's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking, looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Well done, John. That was, uh, when it's read out loud, it's longer than when you've got it on the paper looking at it through the week. But what a brilliant uh, job, John. Thank you for reading that. And um, my name's Nathan. I'm the one staff team here. If you've not met before, if you're watching online, welcome to... Welcome to you and welcome to you in the building as well. And perhaps you've thought, okay, I've braved it out in the cold or I've tuned in online in the middle of the afternoon when there's other things on TV. And I'm hoping at the end of a pretty tough week, another tough week, that there's gonna be an inspiring reading, an inspiring sermon. And then John reads it out and it's all about lost donkeys. And you think, oh, it'll be much warmer at home. Why have I come here? Or is there anything on TV? Well, don't change channels or go off YouTube. There's a lot of good stuff in here, and we're going to see some wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, but I need to pray and ask God's help. Father God, um, as we come to this, your word this afternoon, lots of these things seem quite foreign to our ears. It feels like a long time ago and uh, not a lot to do with our lives. But I pray that by your spirit, you would show us how these things do actually speak to us and how they point us to Jesus Christ. Would you reveal those things to us and change our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think wherever you go in the world, it'd be true um, that people in different countries look for good leaders or look for good leadership, but they're often let down. Wherever you go in the world, people have high hopes for leaders, high hopes for leadership, but the reality doesn't quite match up often, does it? And you can go anywhere in the world, and people's experience of leadership has probably led them to cynicism, at least in many places. Leadership, as we've been praying already, has been in the news this week, hasn't it, with all that's been going on in the USA and in the UK. It feels like ages ago, but it was just Monday night this week where Boris announced this uh, latest lockdown. Leadership, leadership, leadership. And you go... Um, if you're cynical about leadership, you go somewhere like Twitter and can make all the comments you want. So on Monday night, the trending hashtags on Twitter were hashtag Tory chaos, hashtag Boris resign. And it's not just political leaders. 
but even medical leaders. Poor old Chris Whitty had the hashtag after him this week, Sack Whitty. Poor guy was apparently looking after COVID patients in wards over Christmas, but yet thousands of people hashtag Sack Whitty. That we have really high hopes for leaders, whether that's in government, whether that's for the sports team, a new manager, whether that's church leaders, whether that's a new boss in the office, but the reality doesn't often live up to those expectations, those hopes. As we come again to 1 Samuel this afternoon, it's it'd been an issue, hasn't it, from the start of the book, this issue of leadership. So hopefully on the screen, we see that slide that we've looked at a few times. At the beginning of the book, we saw that Eli, do you remember, was the, the leader early on, but wasn't great, and his sons were even worse. But then we've had Samuel, the prophet. He's, he's been pretty good, hasn't he, over the last few weeks? But, but last week, we saw that actually he was... He was going pretty old, and his sons were no good. And so in chapter 8, the people said to Samuel, give us a king. Give us a king to lead us. Jeremy noted last week that asking for a king wasn't so much the problem. It was the people's motivation behind that. They didn't want a king under God. They wanted a king instead of God. They wanted to fit in like the other nations, like a chameleon. And they had rejected God's leadership, God's kingship. And so at the end of last week's passage, if you've got a Bible, the end of 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Lord says to Samuel, listen to them, give them a king. So the question as we come into chapter 9 is, who's he going to be? Who is this new leader? As the monarchy is established for the first time in the Bible, in the book of 1, who's it going to be? What are they going to be like? How is it going to work? You can imagine that the betting shops at the time, I know they probably didn't have betting shops, but the betting shops at the time probably had odds on who was going to be the next king. Maybe the newspapers had the, the tabloids kind of centre page spread on the runners and riders, who's going to be the next king? And we're led at the beginning, surprisingly, of chapter 9 into a corner of Israel to a small, insignificant tribe of Benjamin. That was no claim to fame to belong to that tribe. And we're introduced in verse 2 to this man, Kish, and more importantly, his son. His son, because his son turns heads as he walks into the room. He's a good-looking guy, handsome guy, we're told. He was literally head and shoulders taller than everyone else. Um, if there had been a, I don't know, Mr. Israel competition, Saul would have won. Uh, he was the Ryan Gosling of his day. I don't know, if, he's not very tall, actually, is he? He's a tall Ryan Gosling of his day. And actually, it's hidden a little bit from us in the English, but the word Saul, the name Saul, literally means asked for. Striking, isn't it? As they've asked for a king, beginning of chapter 9, who turns up? Oh, hi, asked for. He's here. This is Saul. And so in this passage, I want us to see God sovereignly at work behind the scenes, providing a humble leader who will save. God's sovereignly at work behind the scenes, but kindly providing a humble leader who will save couple of things then we see. The first from chapter 9 is this. The Lord sovereignly provides for his people. Chapter 9. Saul then, he starts off, there's no campaigning, there's no wealthy backers or funders or PR team. His road to king starts in verse 3 with a quest for lost donkeys. With a quest for lost donkeys. We might not think that lost donkeys are that big a deal. Seems a million miles from our COVID world, doesn't it? Um, 
But yet livestock in this period, well, that was people's livelihoods. It was a big deal to lose a load of donkeys. A mate of mine the other day put on his Facebook that he had lost 300 pounds from his bank account. And he was asking how he can get that money back. It's a big deal if you lose that much money. You want to sort that out. Similarly here, the donkeys are lost and you want to sort that out. Maybe the signs have gone up of the donkeys smiling on lampposts with the mobile number to tear off and ring, but no one had done that. They hadn't heard any good news. And so Saul and the servant go out to find the donkeys. They search and they search. No luck, about to give up, until if you look at verse six, the servant pipes up. He says, look, in this town there is a man of God. He's highly respected. And everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. It's a bit of an air of mystery. How does the servant know about this guy? Who is the man of God? We carry on. The quest turns from donkeys to this man of God. But there's a problem. We heard that there's nothing to give this man of God. The co-op is closed. There's no chance to pick up the after eights or a bottle of red at the local co-op. So what are they going to do? Well, suddenly they find in the bag, the servant just happens to find some silver. Brilliant. They can get going. And they do what not many men do. And they wisely stop and ask some women for directions along the way. And only in verse 14 do we learn who this man of God is. Samuel. We know him, don't we? So we need to remember, he's just out for a quest for donkeys. That's all he's doing. Yeah, he has more than he bargained for as he meets Samuel. He's invited to dinner, news that the donkeys are safe, brilliant. He likes that. And a hint that actually he'll be the Israel's asked for king. He'll be the desire of Israel. Saul's just looking for donkeys. And yet he's been told that he'll be the desire of Israel. And so from Saul's point of view... All he's doing is looking for donkeys. Yet in our story, we are given a a special view of what's going on. Because there's an intrusion. I don't know if you noticed when John was reading out, there's an intrusion, a breaking in to the storyline that happens in verses 15 to 17, where we're given a, a bird's eye view or a God's eye view on exactly what's happening. We've all watched TV series, haven't we, where... You're watching along and you're, you're quite confused sort of what's happening in the plot. And then they have a flashback to 24 hours earlier. And you're like, oh, yes, I've got it. I know exactly what's going on. And that's what we get here. Have a look in verse 15. We're told, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He'll deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul thought that it was a random quest for donkeys. Maybe until a few minutes ago, we thought it was a random quest for donkeys. Yet actually Samuel is going after Saul, looking for Saul. Or rather God is sending Saul to Samuel so that he might be appointed ruler over God's people. So what? What does this all mean? Well, that intrusion in the story tells us a couple of significant things. Firstly, it tells us all about God's mercy, about God's mercy. In verse 16, because we're told there that God had heard the cry of his people. Book of Exodus, you might remember in the early chapters, God's people in slavery in Egypt cried to God and he heard them. 
You might remember in the book of Judges, just before the series that we're looking at now, we looked at Judges and, and God heard the cries of his people. And so here, despite their sin, despite them just saying, God, we don't want anything to do with you. God hears their cry. And he provides a savior, a deliverer. That's not so much him responding because they asked for a king, but, but more than res him responding because he saw their needs. So he said, I'll send you someone who will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. Look, they, they've done nothing to deserve this mercy, have they? they? They said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. And yet he shows his grace, his mercy to them here. And isn't it the same for us as well? We've said, God, we don't, we don't want you to be king over us, to rule. We, we don't really want that in our lives. We sin, we, we turn away from God, yet he shows us mercy. He shows us grace by providing for us a deliverer, a rescuer in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He shows them mercy, but also we notice here, he shows them providence as well. We see providence in this passage. That is that, that God is still at work in ordinary ways for the good of his people. So sometimes God acts really noisily, spectacularly in the Bible, but often he just works quietly behind the scenes in the backgrounds. So when John was reading it out, did, did you notice the coincidences in the passage? that the servant just happened to speak up at the right time to know about this man of God. The servant just happened to go through his bag and find that silver. The prophet just happened to be in the town on that day. See, all of this kind of weaving and working together in the storyline. Proverbs 16, 9 says, humans plan their course, but God establishes their steps. And look, if we're honest in our lives, it's, it's not often that we get this bird's eye or God's eye view on what's going on in our lives. We don't get this intrusion that tells us what's going on often. Yet we can know from Romans 8, 28, that God works in all situations for the good of his people, all situations, circumstances, for the good of those who love him, even when it's really hard. So the second thing more briefly as we move on in chapter 10, the Lord powerfully confirms his people's ruler. Presumably, then, Saul is still a bit confused. He's still a bit baffled by what is going on until we get to verse 1 of chapter 10, where we're told this, that then Samuel took a flask of oil, olive oil, I get the right oil, olive oil, and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. Suddenly, the light bulb, you know, it's that light bulb moment. Oh, okay, he's anointing me. Okay, I sort of get what's going on, maybe Saul was thinking. See, Samuel, as he does with King David later on here, anoints Saul and his head with, with olive oil. It's a symbol of the Spirit's empowerment. And he says to him at the end of verse 1, Has not the Lord appointed you ruler over his inheritance? So maybe things are making sense uh, to Saul. Okay, I've come here. Maybe it's not been random that I've come here and met this man of God and now I've been anointed. But, but he's still kind of, he's a young guy. He's probably still kind of working out. He's still got Mr. Israel kind of competition and the medal in his head. What's going on? He's still wondering perhaps. And Samuel predicts three signs 
three events to Saul, which will take place for the purpose of, of confirming, of showing evidence that this really is truly from God, that he will be the king. Three things then. He says, look, you're going to go on your journey and you're going to bump into two men near Rachel's tomb. He will tell you that the donkeys have been found. Brilliant. Okay, that's going to happen. You're going to go on from that and you're going to bump into three men. After that, going to worship God. They have three young goats, three loaves of bread, um, some, some wine, and they're going to offer you two loaves of bread. It's very precise, isn't it? And then the third prediction, you'll meet prophets and the spirit will come on you. We'll have a bit more on that next week. Look, these are so pre precise, aren't they? These predictions, these signs. And yet as he goes on the journey, we're told in verse nine that, that all three of these things were fulfilled. It's gotta be from God. It's not just random. These signs are so specific. So what do we do with this all? <laughs> this long chapter, this long section? Well, as I said at the beginning, this is a significant moment in the history of Israel is that the monarchy gets established as here the first king is shown. And I think we see four hallmarks, you could say, of a biblical king should come up on the screen. The first one is that this king is, is chosen by God. We saw those signs, those providential sovereign signs that God is at work here that this king is somehow chosen by God, weaving this together. The second sign though is that we see that the king should be and is here marked with humility. His origins are pretty humble, aren't they? There's one point where he says, look, it's not gonna be me, I'm just a Benjaminite. Surely it won't be me, that's quite good, isn't it? We want that kind of humility in a king. Third thing we notice is that, that his reign is confirmed by signs the oil, the anointing, but also those three amazing prophecies, predictions that came true. It, his reign is established by signs and confirmed by that. And then the fourth and last little thing, the king is to be one who is appointed to rescue. He's to deliver God's people. Do you remember 9 verse 16 from their enemies? And so at this point, it looks pretty rosy, doesn't it, for Saul as a leader? It looks pretty rosy for God's people in Israel. So far, so good with this handsome, tall king who has turned up. But actually, there were a couple of anti-climaxes. It's hard to note at first, but let me show you them. From 9 verse 16, Samuel is told to appoint him ruler, or you could translate that prince. He's not told to appoint him as king, at least not at this stage. See, God's purposes for a king are not going to be the same as the people's purposes and requirements for a king. Israel will still be different. They'll still be distinct from the other nations. God will be their king. And that's why he says they're still my people. They're God's people. In fact, we'll have to wait until David, until we see God's true choice for king in a few chapters' time. But the other anticlimax is right at the end of the reading, the, the end of that section in chapter 10. But do you remember that the uncle of Saul turns up and says, look, what happened? What did the man of God tell you? Tell me everything. And Saul doesn't really tell him. He sort of holds it back, doesn't he? Like some commentators say, oh, that's a great thing. That's good. Some say, oh, that's a bad thing. It's, it's hard exactly to know whether that's good or bad, but it's at least strange, isn't it? 
that he's reluctant, at least as a king and ruler at this stage. Yet even after a promising start for Saul, he will fall short as a leader. He will fall short as a king as we go through 1 Samuel. Saul actually will turn out to be a symbol of the people's rejection of God. And I want us to see today that, look, human leaders, they will fail us. Human leaders will fail us in one way or another. Government leaders on the left or on the right. Bosses at work, that new boss that you think is going to be brilliant, they will let us down. For at school, a new teacher, they will let us down in one way or another. And tragically, church leaders will too. 2020 was another year of scandals with church leaders, both the, the big celebrity pastors who speak at conferences and write books, failing morally, but also in circles closer to ours. Leaders who look so good at first, but failed in one way or another. And you need to know that, that Jeremy, that I, that the leaders here at Trinity will fail you. We pray and hope that it won't be in a serious way, but we will let you down. See, these four hallmarks that we've looked at have and will only be fulfilled by a better soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, where our high hopes for this leader, this king, are actually surpassed because he's a leader chosen by God. Jesus himself didn't take himself upon the honour of being a king, but he was appointed a king forever by God. But also Jesus as king was, was marked with humility, wasn't he? Not from the tribe of Benjamin, but from the tribe of Judah. And he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth, really? Insignificance. He was born in a stable. You can't get much more humble origins and start in life to that. He washed his disciples' feet. He, he didn't go looking for donkeys, but he rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. Humility. And actually, he was confirmed as king by signs, wasn't he? John's gospel, for example, water into wine, healing the sick, opening the, the eyes of the blind, and most of all, rising on the third day from the grave, the ultimate sign. And of course, as well, he was appointed to rescue as king. So as we turn, maybe we've looked at it so many times at the beginning of Mark's gospel, chapter one, verse one, and we just read it and kind of move on. But but it is striking, isn't it, that it says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, that is the chosen, anointed king, who will go on, as we see, to deliver his people from sin and death through his death on the cross. But there is also, we need to know, a now and a not yet to Jesus' kingship. See, Jesus at this very moment has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the King of Kings at the moment. He is the Lord of Lords and he should reign in our hearts. But there's also a not yet element to Jesus's kingdom and his kingship. One day he will, oh, it's going to be brilliant, one day he will return to rule. On that day, every knee will bow before him, every tongue confess, and at that moment, everyone will recognise and honour his, well, his royal authority. So as we finish, I just want us to, to be left with a warning 
and then left with a short encouragement as well. First of all, then, with a warning. A warning not to put our hope or our faith in earthly rulers or leaders. We'll be let down by them time and time and time again. Psalm 146 puts it so well. Do not put your trust in princes or in human beings that cannot save. Don't do that. It's a warning. And we need to hear it. And maybe some of us need to repent today and say sorry to God for for the ways in which we have put our trust and our hope in human leaders, whoever they might be. But there is also an encouragement here. Because Jesus Christ is the leader. And he won't fail you. He won't let you down. And he'll never to fail to keep his promises. Look, the spirit of the age that we live in views authority as, as something to be avoided, something to be rebelled against. But actually, Jesus Christ is the king whose leadership is perfect and needed. Jesus is the king who looks out for you, who loves you, who defends you, who shepherds you. He's your king. And so enjoy living under him. There is no better way to live. And maybe you're listening in to this online or you're here and you wouldn't say that you've trusted in Jesus. You wouldn't call him your king. And and maybe you've been involved in churches before where you've been let down by church leaders. And, and if that is you, I'm so sorry. I really am. But don't let that stop you follow him. He is the humble king. He saves, he, he laid down his life for you. There is no better leader than him. And so this week as we read the papers or watch the news and, and read another story, hear another story about another leader who's failed again morally or in another way, or as a boss at work puts unreasonable demands on us, or a parent lets us down an authority figure in our lives. Don't despair, but fix your eyes on Jesus, the captain of salvation. Don't put your trust in princes or human leaders, but put your trust in a humble king. He saves. I'll leave a few moments of quiet and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Some words from one of the verses of a famous king, crown him with many crowns. Crown him the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the king to whom is given the wondrous name of love. Crown him with many crowns, as thrones before him fall. Crown him, you kings, with many crowns, for he is king of all. Amen.